This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. We want to thank the Dwell app for supporting the Made for This podcast. Visit dwellapp.io slash made for this to get a 20% discount and start using your ears to renew your mind. That's dwellapp.io slash made for this for 20% off an annual or a lifetime subscription. Now, here's Jenny. Lisa, for anybody that doesn't know, why don't you just set up a little bit of, of where you've been for the last few years, what you've been walking through? Yeah, thank you for asking, Jenny. So the past five years of my life have been excruciatingly painful, the hardest years I've ever walked through. And, and I would have told you before this that I had checked all the hard boxes of stuff that a person could walk through. And it's not that I felt like I was protected from anything else hard happening. I just felt like I already have a testimony. So now I'm in the season where I'm just sharing my testimony, helping other people through their hard stuff. You know, I had no idea that the hardest season was actually in front of me and not behind me. So Art and I have been married for over two decades when I started to sense that some things were off with him. But as a Christian wife, I very much tried to give myself those Christian pep rallies that we always give, you know, and it's like, believe the best, which I still believe that I do believe we should believe the best, but sometimes we can believe the best and deny what's actually real. And so I was kind of doing that. And, and he, every time I would bring up concerns, he would redirect those concerns of saying, you know, I think it's something you need to work on, Lisa. I think it's like a perspective. I think it's a, you know, like, I would question him about something and then I would feel guilty because maybe I wasn't being encouraging enough or respectful enough. And so, you know, we got into this very dysfunctional dance where I knew my discernment was firing. Something is wrong, but the problem with discernment is it doesn't give you details. Hmm. When I went hunting for those details, I walked away feeling guilty that I was actually discouraging my husband. And so I thought the issue was me. And that's very common, actually, when there's secrets in a marriage that one person can sense, but they can't figure out, they wind up just thinking they're the crazy ones. And that's what happened to me. I I wound up being almost utterly convinced that I was crazy. Mm. And then one day, I found out the opposite was true, that I actually was not crazy. And that there were terrible secrets that were being kept from me. And I discovered what was actually real. But when I discovered it, I wish I could tell you that it was a quick, tidy journey to repentance and healing and restoration and reconciliation. But that's not our story. I love that story, but that wasn't our story. And went to some really deep, dark, horrific places And every time I thought we were moving forward, all of a sudden I would discover something else, a little bit more of the story. And I think it's a lot easier. It's never easy when a marriage implodes and there's infidelity and unfaithfulness. It's never easy. But I've experienced just so much education on this and talking to people 
when there is an affair, if the person who chose to have the affair is the one who comes to their partner and comes clean and does a complete honest disclosure of what happened, then it's a lot easier of a healing journey. Mm. And if things leak out and are discovered over time and it's just a brutal process on the person healing. And that was unfortunately the course that mine took. And after 18 months, I thought we were about to cross the finish line of recovery and reconciliation. I thought we were about to renew our vows and then more discoveries were made. Mm. And I realized we haven't even, we haven't even started this journey. I mean, not only are we not at the finishing line, we're not even on the the first steps of healing yet. And I was so discouraged. And I was convinced at that point, I had to say to my husband, I was convinced that our marriage was over because I had to say to him, I can love you and I can forgive you, but I will not share you. And for the first time in the whole journey, I posted publicly what we were walking through, really because the story was about to come out anyways. It was either gonna be told through the rumor mill or I could get out in front of it and share it with truth. So I shared it with truth. And then I had to kind of just go into a season of, of healing and, and just trying to survive. It was terrible. It was brutal. Mm-hmm. So that's the backdrop story of what I've walked through. And, you know, I don't share a lot of details because those are for art to share one day, if he ever decides to tell the story. But I will say that I think just knowing the pain that I've walked through helps people see that I don't approach this topic that we're talking about today of forgiveness. I don't approach it lightly because usually when you bring up the word forgiveness, it's attached to the hardest and most horrific things that people have ever walked through. So I don't even start by telling people you should forgive. I actually start by acknowledging the pain And I just say, if no one else in this world has taken time to bear witness to your pain, I will. Mm. I'm so sorry for whatever it is that you've walked through. I am so sorry that they hurt you the way that they hurt you, that they did what they did, that they didn't stay, or maybe they stayed too long. I am so sorry for what you've been through. But I I will also say you deserve to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. And that's really what this message is about today. Mm. We were talking before we got on about marriages that you get to be a part of because of this story that you get to speak into and help. And, And specifically, we were talking about that line of enabling versus calling it, right? And I think for a lot of Christian women, it's really hard to know the difference, to know, okay, this is... This is something that either one, I've got to bring people into what's happening because I think it's hard to do that because you're protective of your marriage, you're protective of you know your family's reputation, maybe your husband's reputation. And then two, when to really draw a line and say, okay, this can't go on. Talk just a minute to those women that are out there, women or men that are struggling and going, okay, I don't, I don't know what stage we're, we're in here. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... You know, I understand when 
I have these conversations with people and they're saying, my spouse has basically abandoned the marriage, walked away from the marriage. Maybe they're involved with someone else or maybe they're sucked so deeply into addictions that they're very focused on protecting their addictions, but not fighting for the marriage. And so I'll often talk to women and men. I mean, it's, it's, both. So I don't want to generalize this and say, I'm always talking to a woman who's fighting for her marriage, because sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes my husband and I are talking to husbands who are fighting for their marriage. I've seen both sides of this, but often when, when one spouse is fighting for the marriage and the other person has walked away, I think the one fighting for the marriage thinks that they are the ones that can pray enough, work enough, you know, say they're sorry enough, go to counseling enough, read enough, study enough, you know, beg enough that eventually their partner is going to turn around. But Jenny, I am here to say that you cannot work harder on another person than they're willing to work on themselves. And the reason I know to say that is because ultimately at the end of the day, I had to come to the realization I could not change art. I could only work on me and art's choices were his to own. And the more I kept running around trying to save our marriage by preventing him from hitting rock bottom was the more that I was enabling the chaos to continue. Mm. And what's so brutal is that you know you can't change another person, but when you're married to them, their choices very much affect you and your children. And so it can feel like the most awful, brutal trap to be in to say, I have to try to prevent them from hitting rock bottom because if they hit rock bottom, I'm going to suffer and my children are going to suffer the consequences in almost as brutal of a way as anyone else. Mm. But the reality is that if that other person doesn't decide that they want help, that rock bottom is going to hit at some point. And the longer you prolong it is just the longer that you are staying in the chaos of the hurt and heartbreak. And so it's very hard and every circumstance is different. And I always say, you know, get some wise, grounded people around you who have experienced brokenness, but who also have experienced healing and, you know, get counselors, get pastors, get godly friends around you and don't try to make these decisions on your own. That's right. But where there is smoke, there is a fire. And eventually, unless the fire is put out, the hurting will continue. Mm. I'm just so grateful. <laughs> I'm so grateful for how you talk about this because I am talking to so many friends and and people that I minister to that because of the pandemic, they are in the most dire season of their marriage. I think what the pandemic has done on every level is reveal maybe what was already there, but we don't have the distractions in place or the coping mechanisms in place that we had before to to protect us from those things imploding in our lives, right? So that's true across the board. But with marriage, it's so hard. I remember when Zach and I 
and I'm pretty open about this. We both are about our season where we didn't think we would make it. And it was, you know, it was a pretty long season. And I look back at that, that, and I could handle almost anything. Like in that season, we walked through all different kinds of difficulties with one with a kid that was just completely acting out, you know, difficulties in our, our lives, our church, with our friendships. One of my dearest friends had a massive stroke. I could deal with almost anything if we were okay. But if we weren't, I couldn't deal with anything. It was almost like it was the foundational layer of my life where you attack that and the whole house falls down. You know, I mean, that's how it felt. And so I just want you to talk to those people that maybe they aren't in an affair, you know, their husband isn't in an affair or they're not in this moment where it feels like, the whole house is falling down, but there's not intimacy and there's fighting and there's, you know, difficulty. Talk to that person about, about what it looks like in this moment to pay attention to that smoke and, and to work through it without, um, before there, maybe before there is more, before it turns worse. Good question, Jenny. Well, the pandemic certainly has caused us to see what's really there. My counselor says it's like draining a lake and what the water was so good at covering up, now we're forced to see what's really there. And there's a lot of stuff at the bottom of our lakes. And so a couple of things that I would say is one, it takes real courage to be honest about what's really going on. But until we are honest, then we we really don't have a shot at healing mm. because what happens is we get into a dysfunctional dance that to survive, we both sort of agree to. And we all have dysfunction in our lives, but I think a lot of us are really good at dancing around the dysfunction without ever calling it what it really is. So let me give you a a funny story, but it'll illustrate a serious point. My sister came to visit me a couple of years ago and we had done a renovation and somehow in the renovation, our hot water heater had gotten connected to the back floodlights of our house. So if you turn the back floodlights off, you would not have hot water. (laughs) It took a while to figure this out. I bet. When I figured it out in my mind, I just thought, oh, I have to remember to tell everyone that we have to turn the back floodlights on or they won't have hot water. And honestly, Jenny, it never occurred to me that there was a bigger problem that needed to be fixed. I just danced around the dysfunction Hmm. and accepted it as if it was normal until my sister came to visit and she said, Lisa, I don't have any hot water. And I was like, oh shoot, that means I need to turn the back floodlights on, hang on. And so I went and turned the back floodlights on She came down in her robe a little while later and she was like, okay, tell me what you said again. How did you get the hot water to work? And I said, I turned the back floodlights on. And she said, so let me get this straight. If you want to have hot water, you have to turn the lights on in the back of your house. I said, yes. And she said, you do realize that's not normal, right? (laughs) And you see, I think that's what can happen in our relationships is in order to survive, in order to try to keep the peace, in order to just get through this day and the next day and the next day, we know something's not right, but it's easier to dance with the dysfunction than to do the hard work of fixing the issues. Mm. And sometimes we need other people speaking into our lives 
where they can say, you do realize that that's not healthy. Like you <laughs> realize that, that that really isn't how you should function long-term. And the problem is that a lot of us get so isolated because like you said, we want to protect the sacredness of our marriage. We don't want to just, you know, tell everyone what we're facing. We don't want to betray our, our partner by, you know, telling other people the issues. But I do think that the enemy knows that if he can isolate us, he can influence us. That's and right. The enemy never wants us to move closer and closer to healing. The enemy wants mm. us stuck in our hurting and our pain and our isolation. That's why I think it's great to do what we're doing today. I'm not asking for anyone else to reveal anything about their marriage. But what I am saying is if there is dysfunction, we've got to call it what it is. And if we have any hope of healing and getting to the place where we are functioning the way we should function, then we've got to start talking about those issues. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation today, but I also want to encourage people, you do need to have some safe people in your life. It's a counselor or really wise friend that you can say, is this okay? Mm -hmm. Is this something I should be concerned about? Because chances are, if you're asking the question, there's something there. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that reminds me of the first time I ever admitted to kind of someone what was going on in our marriage. And it was so interesting because it was a counselor and it was at a pastor's wise retreat. And I signed up for a little 30 minute session for free. And I say just some basic things about our marriage. We've been married five years at the time. And she looked, she grabbed my hands and she said, honey, you aren't going to make it if you do not get help. I was shocked. I had no idea that our issues were that out of whack, that we were that unhealthy. And so I I could not agree with what you're saying more because of that woman being brave enough to say that to us. I go home. My husband is resistant to counseling at the time. We work through it a little bit further and he does go and it changes the trajectory of our lives a year and a half into counseling. Now there wasn't those big things. And that's what I want to say is there was, there was so much dysfunction though that I was so unhappy that she saw you are dying to who God made you to be. You are dying to happiness. Like you literally are just living in this marriage that is dead. And I probably would have done that a really, really, really long time. But something could have happened to one of us where that infidelity is just a step away. And I think that's what I, I want everybody to hear is this is it's possible anywhere in any marriage that that would happen. And the reason it's possible is because the devil's good. <laughs> He's good. Like he will trick you. He will make you feel like this small little thing is no big deal. Nobody gets to complete breakdown difficulty until, you know, without a lot of little steps. And so I think that what you're saying is so crucial. And if everybody listening could do this is just to find who are you going to share your fight with? Who are you going to share? You know what? Here's where we are. Here's what we're wrestling with. And, and for us, it's our small group. We actually bring, when we get in a fight, we'll tell everybody like, okay, yeah, we got in a big fight this week. And it could be completely reconciled, but we still have to kind of walk through it with our small group just for what you're saying, just so they can hear like, is this really resolved? Are there some unhealthy patterns here that we need to talk about that are bigger than just that fight? And I cannot tell you how freeing and helpful that has been to be able to do that with people. 
So we're fans of counseling, but we're also fans of finding those few friends that you really can be honest with and and talk about it. So I want to hear the end of the story, even though I know it, Lisa, because I, I walked through it with you and I got to even just hear it in process, which was such a gift. But tell everybody about what has happened since that point when everything fell apart. Yeah. So everything fell apart about 18 months in and Art and I did not live in the same house for over two and a half years. We were separated. And a big part of that was because uh, there were addictions involved and unhealthy behaviors. And my counselor just really helped me see that I needed to spend a season working on my side of the street and Art needed to spend time working on his side of the street. And we had to work on ourselves individually before we had any hope to come back together. And there were times, there was a lot of back and forth um, in that season. There, There were times where, you know, we would go long stretches without any communication. And certainly when I announced that we were getting a divorce, you know, there was a long season where I just needed no communication because I needed to just let the dust settle and try to gather my, just the pieces of my heartbreak together and and see what God could do with it. And then Art also went and checked himself into treatment. So it was a long, long, long journey, but it was probably four years into it that God finally got a hold of Art's heart in a big way. And through a series of events, part of that, I think, was me getting breast cancer. And I think the other part of it was God just waking Art up and then also the addictions getting under control where he was a little more clear-minded. So there was a combination of a lot of things, but God started to show Art what life would be like without me. And I think it woke him up and Art then did the very humble and hard work to start coming back home. And honestly, Jenny, I don't see a lot of people making that choice. I think it's much more common that shame kicks in and shame causes people to build barriers that sometimes they just refuse the work of humility, especially when there's addictions involved. You know, it's it's so complicated, but I'm here to tell you that I do believe God visits every person, even in the midst of an extreme pit of shame. Mm-hmm. And Art was in a deep pit of shame and God came to him and gave him a choice. And Art made the unusual choice to mm-hmm. surrender to the Lord. And so I do think every person is given that choice, even if they're, they're in the d- deepest, darkest pit of shame. I just don't know that I've seen a lot of people make the choice, but here's the good news. Whether or not reconciliation ever happens, redemption with God is just between you and God. So if your marriage is failing, or maybe you've already walked through a divorce and you think, well, I don't have a reconciliation story like Lisa's, so therefore I don't know that I have a redemption story. Mm -hmm. Don't believe that lie. Redemption and reconciliation don't have to hold hands. Reconciliation requires two people willing to do the hard, humble work of coming back together. But redemption with God is just between you and God, and you can have a redemption story starting today. And that's a big reason, Jenny, that I wrote this book on forgiveness.
it is always our goal to tell you guys about resources, tools, apps that we use over here at the Made for This podcast. And we want to make sure you know about the Dwell Audio Bible app, especially as we're coming up towards the holidays and the new year. I know it is always my goal at the beginning of the year to listen to scripture and listen to the whole Bible all the way through. And they have playlists just for that. The Dwell app is really unlike any audio Bible app I've ever used. You can customize everything about it. It's simple. They have so many different translations you can choose from. And I just love that I can take it on the go with me. Visit dwellapp.io slash made for this to get a 20% discount and start using your ears to renew your mind. That's dwellapp.io slash made for this for 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. We cannot wait for you to download it and try it. talk about it because this is the issue is what does it look like so art has this moment but then there's still so much hurt you've walked through breast cancer alone he has abandoned your family he has hurt you in ways that that it's hard to even get our minds around what did that process look like for you because bitterness is right there knocking on the door right that's what we're talking about this week is bitterness and how easy it is to let that take root and let that grow and grow and grow what did that look like to interrupt that and to not live in that place and even before he repented too right because you couldn't live in that place for four years you couldn't live in that bitterness or that would take you over and swallow you up and let me tell you bitterness feels good at first because at first bitterness starts to feel like it is a protective barrier so you don't get hurt again. But make no mistake, bitterness doesn't just want to be a feeling. Bitterness wants to become your only feeling. Mm. Bitterness doesn't just wanna move into your heart. Bitterness wants to take over your heart. And so I started to feel consumed by the heavy weight of unforgiveness. And I was feeling so weighed down, but I could not figure out why I was weighed down. And if I started to think about, well, maybe I'm bitter, I would quickly say, well, of course I am. I mean, do I have any other choice? I mean, of course I I have bitter, angry, hurt, resentful feelings. Of course I want him to suffer as much as I've suffered. Of course I want the, the scales of justice to at least balance out a little bit, you know, but I, I think what probably woke me up more than anything was this realization I had one day that bitterness doesn't often visit a hard hearted person. You see bitterness often comes to tender hearted people. And tender-hearted people love deep, so they hurt deep. So bitterness isn't an indication that you have a cold, hard heart. It actually probably means you have a very soft heart, a very tender heart. And so bitterness has come in because you experienced a loss. And when you experience a loss, whether it's through rejection or death or separation of any kind, when you've experienced the loss of a relationship, there's emptiness there and something is going to fill that emptiness. And we can either fill it with forgiveness or we can let nature take its course. And what naturally happens is that bitter bitterness comes in. Mm. But I didn't want to live brokenhearted the rest of my life. You see, hard hearts break, 
Soft hearts don't, they mold. And so I realized if I wanted to set my life up for continuous heartbreak, then having a bitter, hard heart would set my heart up to be broken over and over and over and over again. I had to figure out a way to get my heart to a softer place so that when other hard things happened and hard things always happen, my heart could mold rather than break. And the only way that that could happen was through this work of forgiveness. But it started, Jenny, with me acknowledging my pain I could not start by just bossing my feelings around or overriding my resistance. I wrote in the book, hurt feelings don't often want to cooperate with holy instructions. Hmm. So I had to start with my pain first. And so that's where the journey really began was in the middle of all of the hurt and heartbreak without any promise of our ever coming home. I sat in my counselor's office one day and he said, Lisa, do you want to heal? And I said, yes. And he said, well, today's a great day to work on forgiveness. And I remember thinking to myself, are you high? Are you crazy? Mm. I can't work on forgiveness because I don't know how the story is going to turn out yet. I don't even think I'm done hurting. And I certainly don't want to betray myself. I was afraid that if I started the pathway of forgiveness that that was me saying what happened didn't matter and it very Mm. did matter and so my counselor said well lisa we don't start with forgiveness we start walking toward forgiveness by acknowledging your pain so that's where we started and he handed me the stack of three by five cards and i wrote out one thing on every card of how i had been hurt wronged devastated shattered, rejected, betrayed. I just wrote all these painful things out on these cards and the cards snaked all across his office floor as I lined them up. And when I got to the very last thing, I couldn't think of any other thing to write. I looked back and I looked at my counselor in the midst of all of these cards and he did the best thing that anybody could ever possibly do. He just simply looked at me and he said, I believe you. Hmm. And he said, Lisa, your pain is real. And if no one else has dared to bear witness to your pain today, I will. Hmm. And he just said, what you've been through is awful. And I am so sorry this happened to you. And Jenny, something inside of my heart cracked open just enough for me to say, help me. Like, help me. I don't want to drown in all this pain, but I don't know what to do with it. And you see, Jenny, when I was a little girl, my mom taught me how to forgive. And often what would happen is I would hurt my sister and then my sister would cry and my mom, the great judge, would appear. And so my mom would come and she would stand in front of me and my sister and she would say, what happened? And, you know, my sister would say, she hit me. And so my mom would look at me and say, Lisa, say you're sorry. And so I would. And then she would look at my sister and say, now you say you forgive. And she would. And then she would say, now the two of you need to hug and make up and don't let that happen again. And if you don't stop acting foolish, I'm really going to give you something to cry about. And then the great judge would disappear. So I think as I stood there that day and I was telling my counselor, 
I don't know what to do. It's because I was carrying a very little girl understanding of forgiveness into a very adult situation. And the great judge was not appearing, declaring me right and them wrong. Nobody was saying out loud, Lisa, you know, what happened was wrong and Art wasn't agreeing to never do it again. I didn't know. I mean, there was no like, he wasn't even saying he was sorry. We weren't hugging and making up. So it just seemed like forgiveness was impossible. But that's really the enemy's tactic here. Hmm. The enemy wants us to feel like it's too soon to forgive until it's too late to forgive. And it just never seems to be the right time. But the perfect time to forgive is when we decide we want to heal. Forgiveness isn't even for the other person. So we can't attach our healing to someone else's choices that they may or may not ever make. If I wait for Art to say he's sorry or wait for Art to you know, suffer as bad as I did or wait for Art to make right what was so wrong, then I was attaching my healing on choices I couldn't control. So today's the day that we can decide to sever the suffering by saying, You've suffered long enough because of what other people have done to you. And the only way to sever the suffering is through the power of forgiveness. Mm. So my counselor said, Lisa, just go card by card by card and just say, I forgive art for this pain and then go to the next card in this pain. And I said, well, that's great, but my feelings will not sign up for this. So what Mm. do I do? And He said, Lisa, making the decision to forgive is not based on your determination that you're ready for all of this. It's simply your cooperation with what God has already done. As God's forgiveness flows to you, you just let it flow through you and you cooperate with that process. And so you can say, and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Jesus's blood is the symbol of God's forgiveness to us that can then flow through us. So that's what I did. I just went card by card by card and said, I forgive art for this. And whatever my feelings will not yet allow for the blood of Jesus will surely cover it. Mm. What I love about what you're saying, Lisa, is I don't think we've been trained in this. I think you nail it with that story of how we grew up. And we just think when we hear in church or wherever, you just need to forgive that person. We think it is just a light switch, something to flip on. Like we should just be able to do it. And and then we bypass the real issues. We bypass all of our hurt. We never deal with it. And so it doesn't feel real. It feels like, you know, token. And we don't know why it's not flushing out in our hearts and our lives because we're not going back to the hurt that caused it, right? That's so true. And then the other thing that makes this complicated, Jenny, is sometimes maybe we have said like, okay, I forgive this person. But then a week later, a month later, a year later, something happens and we get triggered in that pain, you know, because every time someone hurts us, there is a fact of what happened and there's the impact. There's, a, there's an emotional cost. It impacted us somehow. And so what happens is we misunderstand that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. Mm. We make the decision to forgive for the facts of what happened. That is in a moment in time 
And no one can take that away from us. And that is being biblically obedient to God. God says, forgive, forgiving for the fact of what happened. We've done that. We can check that box and no one can take it away from us. But a week from now, six months from now, a year from now, when we get triggered in our pain and those feelings of bitterness and anger and resentment come back on us, that's not an indication that our forgiveness wasn't sincere or that we are a forgiveness failure. What that means is now we are recognizing the impact that the whole event had on us. And it's time for another marked moment of forgiveness. And that's how you make the decision to forgive. And you walk through the process of forgiveness. And it's really both. I'm so grateful for this book. I'm so grateful that God has gifted you with the ability to put words around aches and difficulties that that we all face in a way that translates to us actually finding healing. It's like you're saving us a lot of money in counseling is what you're doing, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jenny, it's funny that you say that because, you know, when I finished writing, so this is going to be a little scoop just for you, okay? So when I finished writing Forgiving What You Can't Forget, it was 60,000 words. And so I turned it in. Then, Then you know the drill. You have to go through the editing process, right? And so when the editor sent back notes, there was a little part in the book early on that she said, I just feel like you need something else here, another story or another example or something. So my team was like, okay, Lisa, you need to write this. And I go, actually, I think I've already written that. I said, let me open up this file that I have. It's like all the words I threw away in the writing process. They were like extra words that I didn't think. Oh yeah, I have those files. Yeah. So I opened it up, my extra file of extra words on forgiveness was 30,000 words. Oh my word. It was 30,000 words. So I started- That's almost a whole nother book, guys. If you don't know the book world, (laughs) 45,000 words makes a book. So (laughs) So I started reading some of these things in this extra file. And my team was like, you cannot throw away those words. We need to use those words. So I- gave them to my editor and we we did another book that's going to come out at the exact same time but this is the journal so it's and it's full of full color pictures and places to write all the things in the book that I've told people to process so um <laughs> it's the counseling part <laughs> it's the counseling part yeah. so there's the book with the bible study and that's the bible study portion And then there's the forgiveness journal that it really is like having a counselor in a book. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And guys, this is all going to be available in November. Is that right? Yes. November 17th. So soon. If there's one thing that you want to say to people as we close this that are listening that have been really hurt, they are just hanging on every word right now that you're saying because they are in that dark night of the soul where they don't know if they're going to make it. What would you say to them as we close? I would say this, that, you know, sometimes people say time heals all wounds. And I do think time is a beautiful thing that can unfold, but it feels very brutal when you're hurting. And time doesn't naturally heal all wounds. It's what you do with that time that determines Mm. whether you will point your life in the direction of healing or continued hurting. And like I said earlier, I truly believe you deserve to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. 
Today's the day that you can trade all of that drama for an upgrade. And that upgrade is peace. Your life can still be beautiful. You can discover beauty again. There is a redemption story that's waiting to be written with the pieces and parts of what has broken in your life. But if you want to point your life toward all of this healing, hope, peace, possibility, and beauty, it goes only by the pathway of forgiveness. So choose that. Choose the pathway of healing and forgiveness. Don't sit in the hurt any longer. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Jenny and Lisa. Lisa is such a precious and dear friend to all of us over here at the podcast and at If Gathering. And we can't wait to celebrate her because she has a new book out that we know that you will love. You have to go get a copy right now. It's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. There is no better person than Lisa to help us break these cycles of pain and unforgiveness and resentment that we have in our lives. And we all have them, guys. Forgiving What You Can't Forget is like this how-to book on what it means to actually forgive someone. It's rooted in scripture all the way through. And in true Lisa form, it is wildly practical. You can find Lisa's book, Forgiving What You Can't Forget, anywhere books are sold, but we will make sure to put the info in the show notes too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Made For This podcast. We will see you guys next time.